Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. Just me at the top of the show to let you know about my shows that are happening in Sydney on July 10. So this is at the Vanguard. 1 p.m. doors open. Tickets at joshell.com.au. So it's going to be Don't You Know Who I Am first? Half hour break, followed by my stand-up show, Modern Contemporary. So come along. It's all about how, when I was 16, I joined a professional dance troupe down in Tasmania. And hilarity ensues. Hey, also, if you are liking the podcast, don't forget to go and give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave a little rating. Helps with the algorithm. Gets me in the charts. It's been number one, seven weeks in a row. It's been great. Thank you so much, uh, which is fantastic. Also, you can... Become a Patreon subscriber. Go to patreon.com slash D-Y-K-W-I-A. That's patreon.com slash D-Y-K-W-I-A. Helps me just concentrate on doing the podcast and no other jobs. The dream. Anyway, you guys are all the best. Enjoy this episode with Dave Callan, where we're talking volume four, side A. Hello and welcome to 100% Hits Volume Pod, the podcast that looks at the greatest compilation series that this country has ever produced. So I'm, of course, talking about the 100% Hits volume series. My name is Josh Earl, and joining me this week, very, very special guest. Please welcome, it's Dave Callan, everyone. Yay! Oh, thank you. Hello, Joshua. The Hi, Duke, David. The Duke of Earl. <laughs> How are you, Dave? I'm great. I'm really, really well. I'm excited about this because um, I can't do music but I love everything about it. Like I'm a massive music nerd. I love the stories behind songs and how they got made and what they mean. Well, what I like about your music fandom as well is you are very eclectic in your tastes. Yeah, you should see my Spotify. It goes from Marlon, um, goes from, you know, like um, Rob Zombie to Peer Gint. Yep. That's I was going to say, swerving I like. you don't seem the type of person who has guilty pleasures. You just have pleasures. You're not guilty about any of them. No, no guilt yep. whatsoever. I will, I will unashamedly listen to S Club 7. Yes. I, I'm back in Perth, and I used to be a video DJ here for an ice skating rink. Oh. Which was great fun, which ties into something that happened last week. I, I saw your first guest from this podcast. Yes. Um, Kevin. Kevin Mitchell. Um, from Jebediah, and they were playing WA Day. And my God, they're a great live band, just better yeah. than ever. They didn't play Tracksuit, which is my favorite off the, um, what was that EP called? Uh, not The one with sli- Slightly Old Way before Slightly Old Way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a yeah. four-track EP and it was just brilliant. I, I just had it on cassette and slammed it. Um, Blitz, I think, or something like that. But um, do you, track, Tracksuit's an amazing song. And, it you know, you've got your military strongmen and you've got, you know, all those ones that were, were um, more played on the radio. But I, I reckon it's their best song. It's just, it starts slow. You might turn it off if it came on a compilation because it's, it's, like it's like a nothing song. And then suddenly it just like shifts gear and then it shifts gear again. And at the end, all the kind of, the, all the kind of tonalities just start weaving together. And it's just amazing. I used to, at the ice skating rink, have these special lights for that song that I only played during that song. When, when like the fuzzy guitars kick in towards the end, I had these spiral lights and I would turn out all the other lights and just hit them and they were amazing everyone would crash into each other 
That is, I've I've been taking my sons ice skating. We've been to the ice skating rink three times in the last week. Wow. Uh, Once just to watch the ice hockey. They wanted to watch the ice hockey, but two times either side of that actually skating. And they have, they don't have the DJ there now, but they just have a screen where you can just put in the song you want and up it comes. Within reason, I think there's like parental controls on it. Yeah, nice. So, do you mean like any song in the world or do they have a selection like a playlist? They have a selection. It's like a, it's like a jukebox, but it's just it's there and you just put in the band that you want to hear and and so my elder son put in Rick Astley Never Gonna Give You Up about 18 times. <laughs> oh, wow. Brutal. Yeah. That, that is some of the most extreme Rick rolling <laughs> I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, he found it very funny. I pretended I didn't know him. <laughs> what, what age is he? He's 11. No way. You've got an yeah. 11-year-old now. Wow. Yeah, I know. Okay. He's, hey, he's a little, yeah. what we're talking about today, people, is we're Wait. talking about volume four. Now, this is when it starts coming into I'm aware of these albums as yeah. as I would have been. So this is 92. I'm 11. I'm, I'm the same age as my son when these albums are being released now. And wow. I remember volume four was the first one that I was like, oh, I want to get a copy of that. We didn't get a copy of it, but I wanted to get a copy of the 100% Hits volume collection. I, I had seven. I had number seven. Yeah. Oh, seven's good. Six is a good one too. Six was my first one I owned, but we'll get to that in four yeah. episodes time. Mm-hmm. So today we're looking at side A. The year is 92. It's around June, July when this is uh, released. Oh, wow. So we're midway through the year of 92 and we're opening this track. And Dave, you mentioned off air that you've been listening. Well, you would know that every single Every single collection so far, side A, track one, has been a horny song. <laughs> this one is also no different, but this one does make me feel a little bit weird that it's a horny song because this is by a band <laughs> called the Teen Queens and this is their cover <laughs> of the Ronette song, Be My Baby. Here we go. the idea of that song oh god yes hey i'm gonna go out on a limb here josh yes you are allowed to pick one song you hate per album correct i know okay can i guess (laughs) it's not this one (laughs) oh can i can i then offer to change your mind (laughs) (laughs) oh this should never have happened i'm sorry i'm just gonna flat out say it (laughs) there there is a story behind why this happened so the, the band members Roxanne Clark, Kelly Crawford, who went on to become a founding member of the children's group High Five. Kelly from High Five. Yes, and Liza Witt. So what? And this show has come up so many times already. But the creators of E Street formed this band. So these were three models who auditioned, who could sing a bit, and it was going to be a TV show. And they filmed a pilot. I don't know what the name was. I think it was called Teen Queens, but. It was going to be about some country girls heading to the big city to try and make it big in the music world. And things don't go according to plan. 
They made the pilot, didn't get picked up, uh, but then the Teen Queens did perform on E Street. Do you remember E Street, Dave? I do very See, much so, yeah. I never watched it. Did they actually have plot lines? Because so far all I know about it is that every single episode they're trying to make someone in it a pop star. Yeah, it was kind of bizarre. It, it didn't have a very much of a hold on reality like Your Neighbours or Your Home and Away um, uh which is a weird thing to say, but they, yeah. they were like, it was in between, I would say it was in between Home and Away and Chances. It was in the, the middle of that kind of spectrum. And so what, whereas Chances was just buck wild yeah, and had like serial killers with half painted faces and stuff. This was more like that. It was flights of fantasy. I think they had the teen Queens turn up in one episode and, and, and belt out a number in some sort of diner that, that was a regular um, locale. But um, I, I find it odd that they did a pilot it failed, and they were like, well, let's go ahead with the music side that we had planned. You would imagine that they would do that if they were original songs. They'd be like, we wrote all this amazing music. We don't yes. want that to go to waste. But no, they were just going, we'll do Four Tops and, and Ronettes and, and other kind of Motown songs and rip, rip them off. I, I think that that was weird. It, it is one of those things, if you are going to do covers, and we're going to talk about a lot of covers on this uh, side A as well. There's three covers on this album. That's right. One third of them are covers. One third of them have key changes as well. Which is- <laughs> There's so many key changes. <laughs> I wish someone ch- uh, changed the key on the recording studio for this song, but they didn't. So what they need, like, so this one, uh, of course, the Ronettes, Phil Spector, this is called the Spectre Mix. I don't know what the yeah. Spectre Mix is in it. I think that's cheeky. I don't think Phil Spector produced this with his wall of sound whatsoever. And and it maybe it's a tribute to him, or maybe it's a tribute to to Ronnie, who Ronette Spector, who married him, or he married yep. her. Um, but it seems it seems a bit cheeky to call it the Spectre mix. Yes, I know. Uh, Phil Spector did a lot of bad things, but he didn't do this. So that's no. that's one bad thing he didn't do. But this song uh, was actually the inspiration, not this version, but the Ronettes version behind the Beach Boys song, Don't Worry Baby. So Brian Wilson heard this song and went, I'm going to write a response song. Yeah. And I think there should be more response songs out there in the world. Yeah. It was like the original diss track and response, but yeah. it was more dissing the relationship. Isn't that amazing? I, I had no idea that uh, that Be My Baby and, um, yeah, and, and Don't Worry Baby were companion pieces by two different authors. That's unheard of, right? In fact, I heard that, I heard that um, on that uh, Brian Wilson used to listen to this song a hundred times a day. Yeah, he just loved it so much, and and I kind of get that. I get onto a thing where I'll listen to a song fifty times rather than listen to fifty different time, fifty yep. different songs. Like yes. I did that with um, "Cloud Busting" by Kate Bush last weekend because I just I just couldn't. I just every time it ended, I was like starting again. So I get that he he got really into that, and I think that. Apparently, it inspired a lot of Beach Boys songs, and you can see in in, in the DNA of, of of that original track a lot of the the kind of the feeling and the wall of sound, I guess, that Phil Spector produced. Yeah. So then, Ed, by the way, I don't know if you if you've heard this, but he used to record everything half a key lower, um, like the music and then the vocals as well. And then once he was happy with everything, he would speed it up to to the the key it was supposed to be in. And then that's why it sounded so detailed and why the, that was basically the wall of sound. I mean, there was more to it, but that was part of it. And it would make the lyrics pop a little bit more like they would sound a bit um, more kind of like uh, vibrant and, and a bit more sweet. 
Well, interesting you say that because I was doing some research into a band we're going to talk about a bit later, The Cure, and Friday I'm In Love was recorded the same way. But Robert Ooh. Smith didn't know that the recording he was listening back to was sped up a bit and so did the vocals over top of it and he said it gave it a new like new air of urgency kind of thing. He said it was really great and that's how they got that sound for that one. That would like create like an audio depth of field almost, like the background and the foreground were slightly different. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, we'll talk about them a bit later. Hey, you, you know how you say you like to listen to a song fifty times in a row? If you if you like that kind of listening style, you should go to the to the Reservoir Ice Hockey Rink uh, when my son's there. You'll listen to songs a lot of times. <laughs> I wouldn't count Rick Astley in that <laughs> particular. All right, so moving on, our second cover. This Can one. I, I got. I got to say, just um, on this. Yes. You you cannot do what they did. I, I've got to, I've got to say because you know the Ronettes really belted it out. It was like three three amazing singers. Yeah, it was, it was Ronette Spector and it was her her elder sister and her cousin, and they all had hair like my auntie Nula from Dundalk, and they they were amazing. Ronette herself was like half Amer- uh, quarter American Indian, quarter Cherokee, half Irish, which explains the auntie Nula hair, and the the voice is immediately arresting. It's like husky. But it's also kind of it soars as well, which is a weird combination. Well, and it's it, such a heartfelt, pleading anthem. So you're going to say? I was going to say in this song, you can tell they're trying to hide the voices because there's so many little things they're adding in, like little just trumpet sound here or little instruments which don't really belong in the song, mm. but just almost to take you out of what it actually yeah. is happening. Yeah, yeah, which is an intense, pleading, kind of tragic number about somebody who's so desperate that the person that they love it's their one last hurrah to convince them to to be with them and they're yeah. heart bro- they're broken they're heartbroken and they're just like um they need this person in their life flash forward and you've got kelly from high five and two other model actresses um just turning it into this kind of sugary sweet cooing kind of like almost siren like seduction number and it's like you needed to be stopped. At some yes. point, someone needed to put their hands on their shoulders and go, you need to stop doing this now with your, with your blinking and your pouting and your pink lipstick and your fringed pastel dresses. It's, it's an amazing song to take on by anyone, but to, to turn it into what they turned it into, it's, it's a travesty against nature. It also got to number I'm six sure on the charts. People, by the way. Yeah, I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they're all... That's the way with all musicians. If they're terrible musicians, they're probably very nice people who if they get given an opportunity to program Rage will have an amazing Rage uh, like playlist. That's oh, what yeah, I find. I, yeah. I would love to see that. By the way, um, the Wrecking Crew, you, you're aware of the Wrecking Crew? No. So the Wrecking Crew were um, a bunch of musicians in Motown and before and after, and they basically played backing music for every almost every Motown they were kind of like the the Avengers. Yeah. So it was like just badass guitarists, bass players, you know, horn section, everyone. And um, they they did all of the songs, like all of them. And I did a corporate gig with one of them in Queensland at like a footy club. And I had no idea. And there's this old American guy with a guitar and he's got a female vocalist and they're doing a duo. As often as the case of these corporate events, at the beginning, kind of music to to have people walk into and they've given me his resume and it's just like pages and pages. They've gone, I'll back announce him when you get up and I've opened it up. He did guitar on, I want you back by the Jackson five. 
Ah. Like he did the ding, 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 ding. That was him. That was the guy sitting there playing music that everyone was ignoring. And I'm like, back in hands, you should have made me announce this guy with all this. <laughs> yeah. He did he did um Lionel Richie stuff. He did I Wanna Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. And like this guy is a legend. He's on the phone in the green room later. I was like, you should have made me an answer. People would have listened to the poor guy, you know? Yeah. He's in the green room, his phone rings and he's talking to his friend and he gets off the friend he, off the phone to the friend and he's like, Oh, I'm really sad. My friend's like on his last legs. I don't think I'll make it back to the States. Really sad actually to to see him before he goes. And he goes, You might have heard of him. It's uh, Glenn Campbell. I'm like, I was just in a room with a guy talking to Glenn Campbell who did guitar on the Jackson 5 in a footy club in Queensland. <laughs> what is going on? I love, I love the business we're in. It's great. All right. Our, our, next, our next song is also a cover. This is a cover of the Tommy Rowe classic Dizzy. This is Vic Reeves and the Wonder Stuff. I love this song. I Mm. remember as a kid loving this song. I had no idea who Vic Reeves was. I didn't know he was a comedian. I thought he was a singer. Right. He was. Yeah. For those who don't know, Vic Reeves, very famous English comedian, uh, done a lot of work with Bob Mortimer together. They were uh, Reeves and Mortimer. Voted number nine in a poll uh, of English comedians of the greatest uh, comedians of all time. Uh, Vic Reeves and Mortimer were voted in together at number nine. Uh, And... This song was so much of that year in my youth, loving this song, going to like school dances and wanting this song to be on because what kid doesn't like getting dizzy and it just gave you a perfect example to spin around in circles. <laughs> oh, man, I'm just imagining the dance floor now. Like yeah. people in the blue light just go spinning around and like headbutting each other and stuff accidentally. Yeah. Well, our school had sock dances because they had new carpet in the multi-purpose room. You weren't allowed to wear your shoes in it. So it was like, with your socks on, spin around. It was OH&S disaster. Were they doing that thing where you run really fast and you stop and you just slide yeah. along? <laughs> or static and get, give people electric shocks. Oh, all of, all of the greats. But also, I should say, uh, so Vic Reeves, the singer, the Wonder Stuff weren't just a backing band, though. They, they had their own hits as well. Uh, they were in... Uh, Went on Letterman in 92 with their song, Welcome to the Cheap Seats, that had uh, Kirsty McColl on backing vocals, mm-hmm. who's great. You'd know her from the Pogues uh, as her song with, um, yeah, with the Pogues. And also she did stuff with Billy Bragg as well and her own stuff. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but uh, so I thought this song, before I did the research on it, was for comedy relief. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't. It was just released as a single. Yeah. 
got to got to number one. It did. It got to number one. It, it ch charted very highly here, even though the Wonder stuff weren't particularly big. Was the size of a cow big here? No, I, I don't think they were big. I think their next release after this maybe charted in Australia, but that was it. They weren't really big in Australia. They did quite well in America, though. Yeah, right. Yeah, they were they were exceptional. I mean, they um, they were very young. They'd only been around for four years when this came came out. I'm not sure what the, what the genesis of it, whether Vic Reeves approached them or whether they said, hey, how about this? But um, it's a supreme cover, and the original from 1969, nice, was um, very much bubble bubblegum pop like yeah. the guy tommy tommy Rowe. apparently he was the king of bubblegum pop just nowhere near as cool as the king of rock and roll elvis had already taken that he was second in the queue yeah <laughs> no, we've got bubblegum pop left if you want that <laughs> there's but, another uh, great cover there's another great cover by reckless eric uh who does a cover of this song as well which i think this this cover is more in line with that one. Oh, okay have yeah. you heard the bony m one no holy heck bony m do a cover of this oh great God awful. I love Bonnie and, and I love the song, but the two together just cancel each other out, I think. But it's just the fact that they've added, um, I liken the two versions, Tommy Rowe original and this one, to be like hearing a party in the distance. And then this one, you're actually in the, in yes. the party on the dance floor. It's so much louder and, and feistier. It's got the Waka Waka guitar, which you may think is a 60s, um, you know, uh, residual from the original, but that wasn't psychedelic '60s pop. That was bubblegum pop. So it's very, very kind of standard guitar sound. This one they added the Waka Waka, which I think Josh, you might agree, is probably inspired by, you know, the success of Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses, which was a oh. contemporaneous hit at the time. Yeah, yeah, especially coming from the UK, these guys mm. would have been yeah. right. What's 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 big? What's the new sound? Speaking of the new sound, ah. Oh. I don't think there's been a podcast ever mentioned this artist more. I'm, I'm of course, talking about Melissa Takouts and her track, Skin to Skin. Now, I'm going to play this, not from the start. I'm going to play this halfway through, just so we get to hear the amazing, almost Paula Abdul MC Scat Cat vibe rapping in this. So, Ready for a day? I'm born ready. Here it comes. You find an animal, skin deep, looking for a cannibal. Sooner or later, we got to learn. You play with fire, you're gonna get burned. Chill, love is a potion. Two bodies into one motion. I surrender and you give in. We got the power. Skin to skin. Waking up. It's hard for Waking up. go all right i'm gonna i'm gonna come out and say it. banger straight banger <laughs> i'm I, glad I, you honestly, think so i think it's great i mean it's very obviously of the era you know like yeah. you can actually date dance music to within two or three years i feel because the production uh tricks that they use are often very you know brand new and they haven't been you know deci decided whether to throw them out or keep them or not so they use the brand new ones 
which dates them very quickly. Um, and of course, while those production tricks come in and out of fashion, I feel that some things, well, mostly out of fashion actually with dance music, but I think it's interesting that there was a rap and, and you, you started with that three quarters of the way through, which if you watch the video, this guy appears out of nowhere and he looks exactly like Scaly Pete, a guy who used to sell ciggies at the back of the amusement arcade in Black <laughs> Rock where I grew up, exactly like him. And he just appears out of nowhere, nobody knows who he is. But it obviously, you know, contemporary tracks like CNC Music Factory used all of that production. Yeah. They had a, a um, you know, an essential rap at the three quarter point, which I believe has come back into fashion with people like your Iggy Azaleas and your, your um, uh, Nicki Minaj's, but probably started by Blondie. It goes back to the late 70s with Rapture, which was the yeah. first song. And they placed the rap at the three quarter point, which they've done ever since. Well, a song that has the same thing, which I think they may regret having it in there now, is Beyonce's Crazy in Love has the Jay-Z rap three quarters of the way through. And yeah. I don't think they have, when she plays it live, I don't think they have that in it anymore. But in that, it's it, that's the only thing that's dated the song because that song is absolute banger. But oh, in yeah. that, he mm. raps about NBA basketball player Nick Van Exel, who oh. is no longer in anyone's uh like conscious like it's that thing of like he was he played for the lakers when the lakers were no good wow uh, he, he shouldn't be in that song should have gone larry bird <laughs> yes um, manute bowl um but you were saying you told me when i gave you the list that you went and saw melissa live saw melissa live at a blue light disco i was like I was 17 and we were born the same year so she would have been about the same but um it was when read my lips came out Yes. So I don't know, has, has, has that been on a compilation? It's been, it's been on, yeah. It was on oh. uh, disc, disc one or disc two, one of them, yeah. Right, I'll have to catch up. But did you did you cover the greatest lyric of all time? W- what was that? It would have to be from that song, Read My Lips. Greatest lyric of all time, in my opinion. If you want to wait till later, hands off my detonator. And who hasn't thought that at one point in time or another? Written all those songs were written by uh, Burger King and Nicholson, who were basically Australia stock Aiken and Water. Yeah, like that's not an analogy. They were. That's what they were. This, this is my thing with um, the Melissa song so far. Yes, they may have dated. Yes, it may not be your cup of tea. May not be your genre that you like. But she is giving a hundred percent every time. Yeah, yeah, and that comes across. Yeah, yeah. She's she's got Kim Wilde vibes, Dasha Kylie, but she's a bit bit more edgy than neither of them. She's got like a bit of bit of an edge to it. Obviously, you know, um, it was a big secret that I enjoyed that song. It's out in public now, but at the time, I was, I, I loved it. I thought it was great, and um, I had a bit of a crush, to be honest. And what I did was before the before I went to to this event, keep in mind, like I'm all about. Um, Sonic Youth. I'm all about the Smiths, the Pixies, Depeche Mode. This is not. This is. This would have been shameful for me. But I went anyway. And so with a mate. This is sad, Josh. But I painted a painting of her. Oh, like a watercolor because I was really into art. I still still am. But I did this amazing. I I thought it was amazing. It was really beautiful and vibrant, and uh, all the background was all blue and like made her eyes pop. Really sad stuff. So I've gone, I've gone along and I'm like, how do I get this to her? So I've just gone up to one of the bouncers, some big Mediterranean guy. And it's like rolled up in a, with an elastic band. I've gone, oh, can you give this to Melissa? Then I've walked away. I've no idea what happened. He's probably like, oh, where's the bin? You know, yeah. it's, 
it's, it's the case that I thought everyone's connected who works there, but she probably breezed in. Yeah. Mimed along to her song. Sorry, that's that could, I could be up for um, defamation there. Probably sang her song and just bailed. And the bench is just standing there beside the bin containing my painting I spent days on. Or he loves it and it's pride of place in his, oh, in his house. He's kept above, it. Above the fireplace <laughs> in the pool room. <clears throat> All right. Now we're going to one of the biggest songs of the year. This one, many, many slow dances, this one. This is Mr. Big to be with you. <laughs> Hold on, little girl. Show me what he's done to you. Stand up, little girl. A broken heart can't be that bad when it's through fate with twist of both of you so come on baby come on over let me be the one to show you I'm the one who wants to be with you deep inside I And that's enough of that. Sorry, we, we didn't get to the key change. That's one of the many key change songs on this compilation. It is. They do two key changes, like towards yeah. the end. And they know it's a good key change because the the key the, the song just lets you breathe for a sec. It's just like everything just fades out. As soon as it hits silence, boom, up a key. And it's like, wow, just like raises the vibe. And you think, oh, that's 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 happened. They've done that. That's going to come to the end of the song. Next verse, up another key. Yeah. Then at the end, it drops two keys for the last line, and then he lets out a self-satisfied. <laughs> and so he should. So he, he he is a Mr. Big singer, Eric Martin. He wrote this song in his teens. It was he was he in did. love. I did the story goes he was in love with a goth girl who was always dating guys who were no good for her, according to Eric Martin, and he wanted to be the one. Who would put her on a pedestal? Oh Jesus, you've got no idea, Josh. That was happening in my life when this came out. That's why I love the song so much. <laughs> now, I think a lot of guys have had that experience where oh, you know you see a girl who's wonderful and then her boyfriend's treated like dirt, and you're like, Oh no, I would do so much better, but you maybe don't have the social skills to be able to connect. So what do you do? You go in your bedroom, you write a song about it. Yeah, and then, yeah, you, and then you become one of the biggest bands in the world at the time. So, uh, Mr. Big, ha- they have a bit of a. Uh, we've talked about more than words by Extreme, where Extreme were not a ballady kind of band. Uh, Mr. Big are the same. They're kind of like a glam metal band, and that released one album didn't really do anything. Eric Martin showed this song to the rest of the band, not thinking they would enjoy it, but they loved it. They actually. Like, whereas Extreme are kind of like, oh, yeah, it's kind of an albatross around our neck having more than words, but, you know, it's we like the song and yeah, I understand why people don't. Mr. Big actually like, no, this is a great song. We, we really yeah. fought for it to be a single. The record label didn't want to put it out as a single, but then the radio started playing it anyway when they had our album. Mm-hmm. And so the record label were forced to put it out as a single. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was number one in America for three weeks. And the other songs in the top ten, the weeks it was number one, were Michael Jackson's Black and White, I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred and Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Now, what an eclectic mix of four songs if you're listening to the top ten. Amen. This is what I love about this podcast and about the source material, the original source material, is back then you had genuine diversity in the charts. You had, like, 
grunge sitting beside pop, sitting beside, you know, you know, goth rock and, and, and electronic music. And then a ballad like this, it's, it's, it's insane. And then glam rock and cock metal all, all fused together into one top 40. And now it's yeah. all very much almost like it's, there's a convergence of musical genres in the, in popular music. And it's just all very much the same genre almost. Yeah, and then you get like the occasional acoustic Ed Sheeran, but generally, there's never been diversity like the '80s and '90s. I feel. Well, they even say this is the last ever glam rock number one song. After that, this song. yeah, this song. No other glam rock bands got a number one in America after this song. Wow, I didn't know that they would classify it as glam rock. I would say it would, yeah, but yeah, that that checks out. Of course, it's got the 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 high entirely capable vocal it's got the key changes it's got the it's got everything it's the music video i find a good music video will really highlight parts of the song that need to be highlighted and there's um a wild guitar solo for an acoustic three quarters way through black and white to color during the solo yes (laughs) and and my favorite thing about this solo is he plucks the e string really hard after all this intricate finger work and then goes back to this intricate finger work in the video, he lifts the guitar up and like plucks it like he's playing a double bass. Yeah. Like re-emphasizes it. I should also point out the bass player of this band, Billy Sheehan, he'd played bass with Steve Vai. He was Steve Vai's and David Lederoff and has been voted five times greatest guitar player in the world by Guitar Player Magazine. Really? Yeah. So, oh my goodness. And he's, he, he's, he's hidden, not hidden away, but yeah. Yeah. Mr. Big. He's yeah. yeah. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a beast on guitar. There's a wonderful video on YouTube. You should check it out of, of him actually teaching that solo. Oh, so yeah. I'd like to I'd like to learn it. I've never played guitar before, but if you start learning dancing with Beyonce's single ladies, you learn to throw yourself in the deep end and do something you find interesting that you will come back to. So maybe after I've learned a few basics, I can get into it. I'll, I'll be able to start with plucking that E string really forcefully, but it's so brilliant. And And he basically created that off the back of the vocal on the day he just went oh okay so that's the vocal melody i'm just going to harmonize that into a guitar solo acoustically and apparently he learned it you know really well after devising it but it's really fast uh, towards the end apparently the take they used in the track we know is uh, a mistake he either dropped a note or fumbled a note or bent it wrong or something but he said and I, i love this he said that is what makes a song interesting. Like if it's perfect, it's like a juggler dropping a ball. Yeah, you know? it, it I makes agree. It real instead of rote. Yep. Also, when he when he plugged that E string that I was talking about, he um he did it way too loud. He did it way too hard, and it was like it really popped. And they were like, "No, that's the one. We're, we're keeping that tape because if if it had been the original, again, it's texture. It's 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 emphasis." I like that with singers when their voice cracks, which is like, you know, not how you would want it to be as a like professional musician going, oh, it's cracked there, I'll do another take. But as a listener, I'm like, no, I like that. It, it, it makes it feel more vulnerable. It makes it feel like, yeah, it's not perfect and there's more emotion, I think. Nothing compares to you by Sinead O'Connor is a great example of that. Like the first time I heard that, I'm like, what did, why did they use that? They could have re-recorded that without yep. the crack. But it's like, oh, no, 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 that's the emotion. That's the rawness. Yeah. yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, moving on. Another Australian band. Now, this band uh, called Killing Time. And they then changed their name to Mantissa. So you may know them as Mantissa. This is their song, Dream Alone. Here we go. Very much of the era, this type of song. Yeah, you can tell their their influences were kind of you know Rage Against the Machine and Screaming Jets. Yes, well they were, they were, uh, around Melbourne had a a apparently fanatical live following. People loved their live shows, and there was a bit of a bidding war with record labels about who was going to sign them. They ended up signing with Red Eye Records, which was a Polystar affiliate, and so that's why they're on the compilation. Polystar put together some of the songs on this compilation. Uh, and they were a real trying to trying to crack America. So they toured in America for nine months straight, like just went over there and toured every single gig they did. And they were the support band of choice for international acts coming to Australia. So they supported Jane's Addiction, Mud Honey, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pantera, just to name four of the big bands of the time. Now their drummer uh, went on to have more success in another band, a little band called UMI. Russell Hopkinson was their drummer, who then went on to be the drummer in UMI, uh, one of my favorite bands. Now, this type of music, I must say, I I like rock music. I don't like this type of rock music, though. I think sometimes people forget the role part of it. I know it sounds cheesy, but like I do like a bit more swagger in my rock and roll. And look, it's that thing of like going, I think, Rock is a young person's game, and I think young, good-looking people. I know it's very, I know it's very shallow, but that's the type of band I want to see. I say that having seen the Hold Steady the other week, who are all look like they could be working in the account section. Um, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> that that coming from is it Wilco who wore the backpacks? No, that's Girling wore the backpacks. Girling, oh my they, god, I haven't heard of them in ages, but they were yeah. young. Burke was good-looking. 
Yes, yeah. Yeah. But this band are good looking though. You've seen the video, right? Yeah, they are they are good looking. But I mean, yeah. And, and the guy is like chiseled jaw, he's got no shirt on, he's got a nipple ring going on. Um, yeah. The, the bass player is like this um just force of nature. Her blonde hair is just whipping around. Really dynamic looking band. I think they were one of the better looking bands of the nineties. Um, I've, I've, and it's great to see a mixed bit of lineup, like mixed gender lineup. Yeah. I think it just hits different. Like you listen to that song, you think it's a bunch of blokes whipping their hair, and you see this this powerful kind of bass player just like ripping into it. Something hits different about that kind of the texture of the 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 mixed bill. But I feel like this song would have more legacy and would have gone on to do bigger things if they weren't just repeating the same word. Sorry, yeah. line in the chorus. Like a chorus needs to take you further. It's just like it's a great sentiment in the middle of a good dream. I, I can bring you back, but. It needed more, I think, and I'm comedy explaining songwriting to to whoever um, cares to hear it. But that's what I felt, and it just does, by the way, feel like a shallow criticism saying it was repetitive when the biggest song of the year was "Killing in the Name of," yeah, which is a notoriously repetitive song, which is a Christmas number one, by the way. I know there's a, there was a clip that went around uh, the other day of them playing it on uh, some award show or something like that, and they do the fuck you, we won't do it, you tell me. And then you hear the producer going, cut it, cut it. And then the oh. um, and then the host going, sorry, they told us they wouldn't play that. But what did they think was going to happen? Yeah, I know. The lyrics are fuck you, I won't do it, you tell me. <laughs> I saw Rage Against Live at, uh, um, what's that awful shed of a venue in, in Fest- Melbourne? Festi Hall. Festi Hall. I saw them there. You, you know on the, the back of, of the venue, there's like a, a balcony area? Yeah. Right, and there's like an awning below that, where, where, which is like above the the place where you buy chips and shit. Yep. When they were playing that song, guys got off the balcony and were standing on that awning, jumping up and down. I'm like, they're not supported particularly well. Those things, and the band was like, "Get down, get down!" During the fuck you, I won't do what you tell me bit. <laughs> what did they think was going to happen as well? Like, you can't tell people to do something during the band that wrote the anthem about. Telling people to get fucked, you're not doing what they tell you to my, do. My favorite rage story is they were at some concert. I think it was a free to bet concert, and instead of playing the set, they all just went out and stood naked in front of like, and that was their going to be their whole forty minute set, just standing naked. <laughs> and they talk about and one of the members, not uh, Zach De La Roca or not who, who's the, who's the guitarist in it, Pat no, Tom Morello. Yeah, Tom Morello. Not them two, but one of them has a small penis and the other guys are there there with quite large penises and he's the Hollywood in, slap well he's in interviews saying yeah I was backstage I was trying to make it look bigger I was so nervous it wasn't helping I wish I wish I didn't do it but it's out there now and he goes I also wish we only did it for the start of the set and ended up playing because all we did was anger the fans who had bought tickets to actually see us and the statement would have been as as good if we just went out there for like five minutes or a minute done that and then played but the fact that we did the whole set like yeah but it's a great interview with him just talking about yeah I've, did, my tiny piece of penis is on show for everyone oh that's fascinating did they go through the rigmarole of sound check <laughs> or they just stood there in underpants <laughs> we're gonna re- we'll wait till later until we do the full thing but that's a shame that yeah that's the sort of thing that would have felt like a long 40 minutes and most of that 40 minutes would have been them questioning yeah what they, the fuck they were thinking especially small penis man Yeah, I shouldn't have stood stood beside the fridge. All right, here we go. Next song on the thing. It's track six. Probably my favourite song of any of the compilations we've had so far. This is The Cure, 
and this is their song Hi. Play it all, I would play it all, but we can't play it all. Such a great song. Is that not a perfect pop song? I know. And it's always that thing of like, to think back that this was considered a pop song. Mm. It's amazing that people were like, yeah, this is catchy. Around this time, The Cure, arguably the biggest band in the world. Yeah, yeah. Off the back of um, Disintegration and um, their catalogue of hits from Mixed Up that came out in between uh, Disintegration and this. But... um, what what a thing to have to do to follow up disintegration. That's that's wow. Yeah. You know, one of the most incredible albums of all time. It's got I consider two of the songs on that one of the greatest pieces of songwriting, Pictures of You and Love Song. Yeah. And of course Plain Song, the the, the emotional landscape it takes you on and um the fact that he was um worried about the band breaking up, it's about relationships breaking up. It's it's just uh their magnum opus, I believe. And I, I think that they had a tall order, but I think that this song, although it's so well-crafted and beautiful, I feel like it's got no teeth compared to some of their other hits like Close to Me and, and, and um, you know, um, uh, In Between Days, for example. Yeah. It doesn't take you to those heights. It's like it's just under the clouds. I think Diffuser in America described it as a little bit blah, which I think is harsh. But yeah, I will say it doesn't, it doesn't emotionally resonate like other Cure songs. The only time it kind of touches that glory again is the line um, where it goes... Oh, what is it again? Um, I, I can't believe I almost let you go. I'm paraphrasing, but that's a wonderful line because we've all had an experience where maybe we've been dating somebody and we think back to a time where we were a bit more passe about it. And maybe we could have at that time just let things go away. And you're like, how could I have almost done that or thought that this person means so much to me? Yeah. So that's a real powerful um, a moment in the song. But again, it's like the juggler dropping a ball. There's no moment where where it has a bridge or it breaks down or it stops the music and continues again. No real kind of like unusual production techniques. It's all very, I wouldn't say by the numbers, that's too too strong, but um, I would say it's it's a perfect Cure song. It's a perfect pop song, so well-crafted, but it just doesn't grab me as much as their other stuff. And that's why I think it's it's been lost to history more than, say, Friday, I'm in love from the same album. Well, The Guardian ranked this the 11th best Cure song. So, really? Yeah. I mean, which is a great song. And like of all the other bands we've spoken about, if this was their 11th best song, that, that's, a, that's a great back catalogue. If this is yeah. your track number 11. But yeah. I, what I like about The Cure is that if just by looking at them and mainly looking at Robert Smith, you, ha- you think you know what the band's going to be. And then you hear songs like this and even songs like Love Cats, Friday I'm In Love, which are pop songs. They're like fun, silly pop songs. And... Then you got disintegration of the album, and you go, oh, there's 
they do really stretch across so many genres in the same style, but also there's there's so much depth to them and there's so much introspection and all that kind of stuff. That And the sound is so big while also feeling quite small, if that makes sense. So it's quite insular. You can kind of like feel feel small listening to these giant sounds. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's brilliantly put. Wow, of course. That's, that's the whole thing of The Cure. Like, it makes you feel small because, like, the lyrics that Robert has are all about him feeling, like, really in, in, introspective and, yeah. like, like, fragile and vulnerable. But these soaring guitar sounds and, and, and the amazing kind of, like, just the melodies that just sweep you up, like, Close to Me is a great example yeah. of that. And you just, you, you feel like you're soaring when you're listening to them, but immediately... At the same time, you feel like like you're in a little tiny shell. Yeah. And also, I like... Robert Smith is very funny as well. And I think he has a good sense of humour about himself. I, I learnt these two facts about him doing the research about this. That he... Uh, when they were around this time, from 91 to 93, the record label wanted him out on the road the entire time because they were just making so much money doing tours. They were like selling out Wembley, Wembley Stadium, all that kind of stuff. So he told the record label, no, I have a, a massive fear of flying and I can't fly. And he goes, I just said that because I didn't want to get on the plane. Like I didn't want to wow. go. Like <laughs> he, told, he told the Porky to get out of touring. Yes. Like As, if, if only it happened now, he could have like pulled COVID. I've got yeah. long COVID. Sorry. And my other favorite thing, which is very funny, thinking of you know what Robert Smith kind of looks like, he took his uh, nieces and nephews to Euro Disney, and w- oh. does does it every Christmas. And when he was there walking around with them, Minnie Mouse came up to them and asked him for an autograph while the children all looked along around. And he was like, I am the best uncle in the world. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Yeah. yeah. The House of Mouse one's my autograph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the, the niece and nephew would have no idea, like, his legacy and his, his impact on, on world music. But Minnie uh, Mouse. Yeah. They'd, they'd be like, wow, who is, who is our uncle? All right. Hey, we're going to stay in the UK. We're going to go to a little band called Oceanic. Let's get your rave pants on, Dave. This is their song, Insanitary, Insanity and the Legendary Mix. I never took my rave pants off, Joshua. <laughs> One of the rare instances where the remix is better than the commercial release, other than "Be My Baby" open bracket Spectre mix close bracket. It's, I, yeah, I must say, more bands should have uh, pre-recorded cheering in their songs for when they play it. <laughs> I blame Guru Josh. <laughs> 1990s, time for the Guru. Yeah. Oh, what was the other one? Um, yeah, No Limits. By two unlimited. There's, There's no limit. limit to reach yeah. to the sky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No valley too deep. And then it would it, he, the the lyric would fade out, and you just hear the crowd. Yay! 
Yeah. Usually songs have like fake applause and cheering at the beginning or end. That was like every chorus. Yeah. It um it, it it's a very good song. I, I think the original, if you listen to the original, just to compare for a moment, it's just too gauche. It's in your face. It's super cheesy. Yeah. Somebody just the remix is like they, they paired it back, they ripped it apart, they put it back together, made it more subtle. It suited the lyric more. Sounds like they, they maybe brought the lyric down a little bit in some way, re, re-engineered that. But this song is great. The original, a little bit too on the nose. Yeah. See, last episode we listened to Euphoria and the uh, yes, and the vocals of Karen Mitchell. I would love to hear her vocals on this. I think the vocals let this one down. I don't yeah. think they're very strong, and also I don't think they've been recorded very well. I don't know how they recorded this, but I it does. That. Yeah, it does seem like they're, you know, you have other songs we've heard where the vocals actually do sound great and they're mixed well. This one, it doesn't sound like they've. I don't know, put a compressor. I don't, I don't know that kind of stuff, but like it just doesn't sound, to my ears, like it's been recorded that well. Yeah, it sounds like it's at a lower bit rate. To use mm. modern day parlance, probably wasn't called it back then. This is the second last track we're going to talk about. This is a little band called the Red Hot Chili Peppers and their song, Under the Bridge. Chili Peppers attract a somewhat unwarranted, somewhat warranted uh, disdain by a lot of people, almost like a Nickelback level of disdain. But you know what? Blood Sugar Sex Magic was undoubtedly their magnum opus. And it, it, this track is a great track. It's it's It takes you places. The production is wonderful. Fills beautifully. It's layered. It's a sing-along. It's vulnerable. It's haunting. It's heartfelt. It's about the city of Los Angeles. It kind of feels like it's 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 being sung there which it probably was. Um, I wasn't a fan. I'm not a fan, but I can appreciate this. Now for my say, I fucking hate this band so much. <laughs> is, this, is this the song, Josh? <laughs> this is the song. Look, oh, I would wow. say this is of the, This is clearly not the worst song on this album, but I just do not like okay. the Chili Peppers. I, yeah. Which is weird because individually, yeah. apart from Anthony Kiedis, I like them. I like Flea. I like Chad Smith. John Frusciante. Like I like needles from Back to the Future. Yes. <laughs> the best thing Anthony Kiedis ever did was when he was in uh, Point Break and shot himself on the foot. That was the best. Like, I love, I love the fact that he just turns up, Flea yeah. just turns up and shit, like Back to the Future, Point Break. He was in the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series. He just pops up. Spoiler alert. It's not a spoiler. But He's look, suddenly there. And this, I've, I've got in trouble in the past for hating this band. I'm sorry. It's just the people who were I grew up with, this was – the band oh, that they loved yeah. and for me to not like it was, yes, I was being a bit contrary and going, I don't like this band. I like these kind of bands, but it is that thing. Every time I hear 
that funk, that LA rap funk. I'm like, this is gross. This inspired like every Limp Biscuit, every like shit like that was inspired by this band. This is like just wipe them out. I don't want them around. Wow. Hey, say what you like about Anthony Kiedis, but leave Fred Durst out of this. <laughs> but, but, but really, it, that's the thing. That's the thing. That the, the kids at school listening to stuff can really turn you on or off to, to things, you know, and the guys you respect, older brothers, cousins who are cool, they listen to a band. That's now your band. But the bully, his favorite, the T-shirt he's wearing, you're like, fuck those guys. I'm never listening yeah. to them. I've got a friend who won't listen to Pearl Jam, which, who I think are a fantastic band, but objectively, yeah. but... He won't listen to them because of the same reason, yeah? Yeah, so so this came out, it was off Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which actually came out the same day as Nevermind came out. Wow, that's yep. that's that's like when Sorcerer came out at the same time as Star Wars. That's a hard act to follow. So uh, Rick Rubin produced this album. He turned them down in 87 because of their drug use, and at this stage he felt they were in a healthier place. Uh, Anthony Keyes was off heroin, um, John Frusciante was not, uh, and Flea and Chad would smoke pot, and that was it. And so this song was written apparently from a poem that Anthony Kiedis wrote leaving band practice because uh, Flea and Chad were uh, smoking pot and he was clean, so he's like, I've got to go, and he felt a bit on the outer, a bit alone. So he wrote this as a poem. Rick Rubin saw it in his uh, notebook and went, this should be the song. And so they got together. Uh, John Frusciante wrote the guitar part, Flea wrote the bass part, then the song kind of magically appeared. Uh, yeah, well. With this album, they were huge. Like, of all those bands at this time, Red Hot Chili Peppers were arguably the biggest band. I know Nirvana was huge, but in 92, uh, on tour, Red Hot Chili Peppers had Nirvana as their support band. Wow. Which goes to show how big they were. The other support band would have been quite a good gig to go to. Uh, Smash and Pumpkins opened. Pearl Jam were next. Then Nirvana. Then the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now, I'd be leaving before the head, for headline band to go get my car and I'd leave. It'd be great. I still would have had a great night. Yeah, you definitely would. And you would have gotten out before all the bedlam in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Perfect. That's yeah. what you want. So because of this song, they blew up massively. Frashanti hated the attention, um, spiraled into drug use, quit the band in May 92, not long after they performed on Saturday Night Live, where I have it here. Uh, he kind of... It's, it's kind of a funny thing. So Roseanne is hosting Saturday Night Live uh, and I'll just play the opening 20 seconds of John Frusciante kind of fucking around on the guitar. Anyway, so then Anthony Kiddis gives him quite a stare, saying, sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. He, he directs it very much at John yeah. Frusciante. Wow, and that's, then, big, that's big coming from a guy with a cock on his sock. Wait a minute, other way around. <laughs> um, yeah, so John Frusciante leaves the band um, around 92. They ask Dave Navarro to join. He's just left Jane's Addiction. He's like, hey, um, I'm kind of struggling a bit with my own addiction. Uh, so he doesn't join the band. Then Eric Marshall joins the band for a bit, but they sack him because they want to start work on new material and he just is too busy to come to rehearsals. Wow. Like, then they ask Buckethead for oh, a, yeah. Guns N' Roses, but Flea didn't feel he had the right fit hmm. for him. 
Then they I'm go sure through the another. Head doesn't yeah. the guy with a bunch of socks on their cocks. <laughs> uh, and then they try a few other people, but then Dave Navarro is finally clean, so he's like, "Yeah, I can, I can join." And so they finally get Dave Navarro for their uh, one hot minute. Is it red hot minute? What's the What's the name? I don't know. I, I'm refusing to learn. I'll have yeah, to learn I mean, later on because they're they're coming up on a fair few of these compilations. Oh yeah. Get used to the Teen Queens as well, Volume 5 and 6. Oh, no. It's oh, fucking shocking. How did they make three volumes? That's like almost more than any other artist. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, look, I understand people love this song. I'm not shitting on you for liking the song. I have my own reasons for not liking it. And, yeah, that's all. I'll, I'll listen to the All Saints cover of it. <laughs> no, they did not, did they? They did, and they changed um, City of Angels to City of Cities. Yeah. And changed a few of the other drug references as well. There's an album called uh, Gravelands by a guy called The King. And The King is an Elvis impersonator. Oddly, his real name is James Brown, which is bizarre. But he's from Belfast. He's a butcher. He released an album called Gravelands. And he's like young Elvis with the, with the leather 1969 comeback special suit on. Yeah. And, and he, does, he does this amazing album, which is all dead lead singers. Um, and, and he does like, um, uh, smell, uh, smells like teen spirit. And he does like, um, joy division level tear us apart as, as Elvis. And it's a, an amazing young gutsy Elvis impression. He does under the bridge as well in a second album, which is not all dead people, which, ah. which you're probably disappointed by since you hate, um, <laughs> old mates so much. Why do you, why do you hate lead singer of the chili peppers in particular? Cause that's, that's beyond the scope of the boys in the, in the school, liking the band. I, I read his I read his autobiography. People were like going, even if you don't like the band, it's a really good autobiography. And in that, he's just a, an awful person. Yeah, right. It's, it was around the time, you know when Motley Crue released The Dirt? And it was just before Marilyn the Me Too. Well, just before the Me Too movement kind of was, people was getting steam and going, no, people, this whole lock up your daughters kind of mentality is not right. Mm. The Dirt came out and people were like, oh, how cool is this? And then all these other people were like, oh, let's write a warts and all. And then it's just kind of like, no, this is – there's some bits in here which are actually criminal here. Uh, this is not something yeah. to be celebrated. And, well, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but also don't like him. Moving on, our final song. We're up to the final song, track nine, side A. Little song, another cover, another Australian this is James Blundell and James Rain with their cover of the Dingo's 1973 classic Way Out West. It's quite the transition between the two songs. We've just had Red Hot Chili Peppers and now... Way out west where the rain don't fall Got a job with a company driven for Make some change Living and working on the land I quit my job and I left my wife Headed out west for a brand new life Just to get away Living and working on the land What a change, what a change it's been Working at And there's that. What do you think, Dave? Um, so I, I, for context, I uh, had been in Australia for one year. Yep. I was 16. 
since discovered, this is the third of our three covers, yeah? Yep. So it was a hit for the Dingoes in 1971. I, I hadn't heard that. I didn't know the band. But um, was it a necessary cover, Josh, do you think? Well, look, this probably necessary for James Blundell. This really put him put him in the uh, Australian conscious, uh, consciousness. James Rain already had, like, he was an Australian crawl. He wrote Reckless, like, already, yeah. already a legend in Australia. Yeah. Uh, but this was his biggest ever song he had. Like, mm. this uh, got num- number two on the ARIA charts, kept off by the song we Red, just heard. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah. Under the Bridge. Yeah, uh, yeah. So this, I remember this song being the song that my music teacher in primary school, if you wanted to learn guitar, this was the first song you learnt because it's just G and C, two very easy chords. And what, you just strum it, do you? Just strum it. Yeah, nice. And, and growing up in the northwest of Tasmania, like because this whole it's, the song is about going to work on the mines, yeah. leaving your family and just going to work on the mines, making some money. And in, yeah. on the northwest of Tassie, that's what people did. People went down the west coast of Tassie to work on the mines down there. So way out west for Australia, for Tassie, was just the west coast, not Perth where or WA where you're, you're based. Yeah, I'm, I'm like a FIFO comedy worker. Yeah. <laughs> I looked it up and I'm like, okay, living and working on the land. Have they got the credentials? Blundell used to work on cattle stations in the north end. Yep. James Rain went to VCA. Sit down. <laughs> shut the fuck up, James. You haven't, he doesn't have the credentials. I'm so disappointed. He does that's, not have the credentials to be that, talking about living and working on the land. That's why he needed Blundell to give him to give him the street cred. Yeah, yeah, that gave him the cred. I was almost it, as disappointed as the time I was at the airport, and it was at the time that um, that Jimmy Barnes's autobiography came out, and it's working class man. It's everywhere in the airport. It's on like stands and stuff, and like big kind of displays. Working class man. I get on the plane. Guess who's in front of me? Jimmy Barnes and his wife, and of course. They go to business class. I'm oh, like, yes. Come on, man. Come on. Which is, you've identified to the extent that you've called your autobiography working class. You're in business class. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, almost uh, had, gave him a serve, but then I thought, no, his, wife, his wife's there. She's lovely. I met, I met him before, Jimmy Barnes, and he called me a big muppet. We were oh. on the same episode of a TV show together. If you call somebody a big muppet in, in London, that's fighting words, but I took it as yeah. a compliment. Muppet was the word my brother would call us because it was the only word that my parents would allow him because it wasn't a swear word. It wasn't derogatory. So we were oh. Muppets. Are oh, you Muppet? Yeah. It's, it's great because it's got gravity thanks to Snatch and Lock, Stock and Do Smoking yeah. Dogs, you bloody Muppet. So like you said, James Blundell was, he was working on sheep stations, hurt his back though, so could no longer work and so took up guitar. Like it's good that he had music to as his plan B if farming didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Farming is my fantasy. My day job is being a musical. So, so this song was 92. In 2013, he ran for the Australian Senate for the Bob Catter Australian Party. Even though, And that was controversial because he was against some of the party line. He was for same-sex marriage and actually made one of the, one of the head, head honcho guys at the Australian Party quit because he's like, nah, you can't have him on if, you've got, if he believes that. And they're like, no, no, he didn't get in. Uh, and for those listeners overseas, Bob Catter is kind of like the politician that the writers of The Simpsons, when they did that Australian episode, thought that all our politicians were like. Bob Catter is is that. He's a big hat wearing, talks about crocodiles a lot, doesn't make much sense, kind of people kind of put up with him because sometimes he'll say funny things. Oh, yeah. 
the, tr yeah. the Trump administration were great for that as well. Yeah. Um, in 99, um, it's another thing political with uh, James Blundell. He, we had the referendum to become a republic. He believed that we shouldn't uh, – he believed we should become a republic, but he still wrote the campaign jingle for the no party, like for the no side. He took the money even though he goes, oh, I think we should become a republic, but yeah, they'll pay me some money, so I did it. Wow. <laughs> oh, money talks. It's great to see the politicians finally be that transparent. Yeah. So that is that is the episode, Dave. We've gone through a lot. This is oh my God. <clears throat> some of the, the wildest songs we've had so far. Mm. Yeah, it's been great. I feel really bad for Andrew last week. Yeah. That was not a good crop of songs. There's something something wrong about the early nineteen nine or late early ninety two. Those nine songs hard to find a, a gem yeah. amongst them. Yeah. So as I'm asking now, they say it's hundred percent hits. Mm. How many percent would you give this? Uh, <clears throat> so it's hard because it's nine out of ten, isn't it? But um, yeah. I would I would I would give it uh, honestly. I would give this eighty. 87%, only one song I, I would say absolutely no to, which is And that would be Teen Queens. Be my baby. You see, you just started at track two. You got a good album. Don't have to get up yeah. and skip it. Easy Great. skip. Just as soon as I'm at the CD player, boom, back in the day, of course, that's what we had before your streaming services. I will say this, though, probably my favorite, and it escaped me at the time again, I was more into the indie stuff, particularly electronic indie, but I will say this. I think, for my money, of the nine, the one I really enjoyed getting familiar with and revisiting was probably um, Mr. Big, would you believe? Oh, there you go. Um, it's kind of like almost like a heterosexual Sophie Hawkins, damn, I wish I was your lover. <laughs> yes. It's a heterosexual take on that whole vibe, isn't it? By the way, you know the expression big in Japan? Yeah, these guys. These guys all the way, the textbook. Yep. Yeah. They were still touring their sold-out shows in 97, releasing albums there, only in Japan. Well. Great. Hey, thank you so much for doing this, Dave. Uh, where can people find you or hear you? Uh, I'm on the socials. Um, so Dave Callan, uh, Facebook, Dave Callan, IG, Instagram, Dave Callan, Twitter. And um, I'll be bouncing back to Melbourne towards the end of the year to do some, some shows, and I'll be doing Fringe World in Perth in February. Excellent. Hey, everyone, if you listen to this and you live in Sydney, I'm doing my show, Don't You Know Who I Am, the pod uh, up there on July 10 at the Vanguard and followed that with uh, Modern Contemporary, my show from this year's comedy festivals. Uh, so make sure you get a ticket. Go to joshearl.com.au. Big thanks to everyone supporting the Patreon. Go to patreon.com patreon slash D-Y-K-W-I-A, keeping the lights on for the podcast. Dave, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I'll see you, I'll see you next time. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.